hogs can be pretty aggressive. Uh, you know, they can, they'll certainly run a, run a deer away from a food source if, if they want to get on that food source. And especially, like I said, they, they tend to be social animals, especially the females and the young. And so a white tailed deer or even a, a, a female and, and her fawns is not going to stand there and, and battle 20 or 30 feral hogs. They're just going to have to move on. Hey guys, welcome to the National Deer Association's Deer Season 365 podcast. I'm your host, Brian Grossman, and we got something a little different for you on this week's show. Uh, this is obviously a deer hunting show, and that's that's our primary focus, uh, but there's a growing problem out there across a big part of the country that's having a negative impact on uh, not only wildlife habitat, but agriculture. Uh, it certainly does impact deer and, and other wildlife populations as well. And that's the spread of feral hogs. Uh, this week, we're talking to Alan Leary of the Missouri Department of Conservation, all about feral hogs. Uh, Alan heads up the feral hog control efforts in Missouri. So we dive into what that entails. But first, we we kind of discuss, um, you know, how feral hogs became an issue to begin with, how, how they got here, how they spread. Uh, what techniques are ineffective at reducing hog numbers and and what techniques work. And we dive into a whole lot more. So even if you don't have feral hogs where you live and hunt, which if you don't, you should be thankful for it. Uh, but I still think you'll enjoy this discussion with Alan. So hopefully you'll stick around for that. Uh, before we get started, though, this episode of the Deer Season 365 podcast is brought to you by our friends at Matthews Archery. Uh, Matthews recently released their all-new Phase 4 Bow, uh, their most efficient hunting system to date. Uh, by damping vibration directly in the limbs, Matthews was able to, to really reduce hand shock and make their extremely quiet bows even quieter. Uh, they've also incorporated their new bridge lock stabilizers that offer improved balance points, increased harmonic tunability, and a more robust connection to your bow. So if you haven't checked out the Matthews, the new Matthews Phase 4 yet, hey, make a trip to your local dealer and give it a shot. Or you can head over to Matthews Inc. That's MatthewsInc.com. And hey, one more thing before we jump on the phone with Alan. Uh, we have another giveaway going on over at our website. This time we're giving away a pair of Vortex Crossfire HD 8x42 binos to one lucky winner. Hey, there's no cost to enter this giveaway. All you got to do is head over to our website at deerassociation.com slash vortex. Put your information in and uh, you'll be entered. We're going we're gonna to run that to the end of February and then we'll draw a winner and uh, move on to our next giveaway. So hopefully you guys will take advantage of that. And uh, with that, let's jump on the phone with Alan Leary to talk about the, the growing feral hog problem and uh, what methods are working to control them. Hey, Alan, uh, before we dive into, you know, feral hogs and, and all the, the problems that come with them, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and maybe what led you down uh, this career path to uh, a career in wildlife management? Yeah. Um, so my name is Alan Leary and my title here with the Missouri Department of Conservation is Wildlife Management Coordinator. And one of my um, one of my duties or assignments in, with that position is to serve as the state feral hog coordinator. 
And I got into wildlife management field. Um, I guess I probably knew by the time I was about 10 years old that that's what I wanted to do. I, I grew up uh, uh, in southern, southeastern Minnesota along the Mississippi River and hunting and fishing and trapping and doing all sorts of outdoor things. I love being outside and and realized at that time that uh, there was only one thing I was going to spend more time at in my life than my job, and that was going to be sleeping. And so I wanted to find something that I enjoyed doing, and I enjoy being outdoors. And so um, I pursued that as a as a career, and, and it's taken me around a little bit. I, I grew up, like I said, in southeastern Minnesota, and then I went and got my bachelor's degree in Wisconsin at the University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point. And then I moved out west and worked in Washington for a while, and then I got my master's degree um, at Boise State University in Idaho. And then I went down to Texas and worked worked down there for a year, With uh, worked actually at Fort Bliss Military Reservation doing endangered species work, and then came up to Missouri and spent a few years doing endangered species work with the Missouri National Guard. And then I went to the Missouri Department of Transportation and uh, worked for them for 10 years doing endangered species work. And now I've been with the Department of Conservation for uh, 11 and a half years, I guess now. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's funny. There's there's a lot of uh, similar stories out there. I guess when you talk to guys in the wildlife profession and and myself included, that that's my background as well. And you know, so many of us started with just that that passion for the outdoors, and, and in a lot of cases, hunting and fishing and that kind of thing. And uh, you know, just let let us down that career path. Look, looking for that way we could we could stay outdoors, you know, as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah, so nice that, to nice to do similar things during the week that you're going to do, uh, you know, on your free time on the weekends. Absolutely. Sure. Now, did you have an existing interest in feral hogs or feral hog control, or is that something that just kind of kind of fell into your lap as as part of your your job requirement there with the uh, the M, the MDC? Yeah, that that just fell into my lap. It was certainly <laughs> nothing that I had ever um, considered before, or uh, you know thought much about uh, or even had really a lot of, you know, experience with them before because I, you know, other than my year down in El Paso, Texas, I, I've been a northern person and we didn't have, you know, where I grew up in Minnesota and where I lived in Washington and Idaho, um, hogs weren't, hogs weren't an issue, at least way back then. Now, some of those areas probably have, um, you know, some hogs now, but uh, back, way back then when I was growing up, it wasn't an issue. So I didn't have a lot of knowledge or a lot of experience, but um, certainly, <laughs> certainly dove in uh, head first uh, when <laughs> I got that assignment and been, been pretty heavily involved ever since. Yeah. Yeah. I, I understand that. I know I remember from my time with uh, a couple of state agencies, you know, we'd always joke about that, that last bullet point at the bottom of, of any job description with the agency uh, always read other duties as required. So that <laughs> yeah. was kind of the <laughs> the catch all for anything they needed you to do outside the norm. So, yep, that's for sure. Yeah, that's I understand. Sure. Yeah. Hey, before before we dive into you know some of the specifics of how Missouri is is handling the feral hog issue, I want to kind of take a step back and just maybe you can speak on you know how did these hogs get here in the U.S. to begin with? How did they become such an issue? Um, you know, are any of these hogs native to the United States? Can you just kind of give us a little background as far as that goes? Yeah, I, I think there's been uh, um, sort of a couple routes. We know way back as far as the 1500s when the European settlers came over, we know DeSoto brought 
um, hogs with him when he came over to uh, to feed his 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 people that he brought with him on his expeditions. And I've seen numbers before, and I I don't have them committed to memory, but something like you know they knew on one of his expeditions he brought you know fifty hogs, and within you know a year they had whatever, 500 hogs running around because they have such a tremendous reproductive rate. And, and so, you know, the genetics from some of them may still be around. But then uh, we also, uh, at, at one point in time, they were, it was quite popular to, uh, for Eurasian wild boar to be brought over here to, to be hunted in, in uh, hunting preserves or, or some people call them high fence facilities. And some of those animals, you know, accidentally escaped. And I think in some situations when the 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 business or the the um the place was gonna go out of business they may have you know they may have just let let some go and so a lot of the hogs that we have now are are very much um uh like mutts they're they're an intermix of some you know domestic hogs that have been released intentionally or unintentionally and then some of these eurasian uh wild boar that have been brought here for hunting purposes um, and some of them were initially put behind, you know, fences at hunting preserves and others. I think some probably some people probably brought some and and just released them into the wild. And so um, the hogs seem to be uh, very willing to interbreed with with different, you know, with with all sorts of them uh, mixing. So uh, there there's a lot of variety when you see feral hogs. Um, some of them have a lot of the characteristic, you know, the fur and whatever in the in the the arch on the back and the size and everything and the schnout and the tusks, they have a heavy appearance of a, of a, like a Eurasian wild boar. And then others still have the stripes and stuff of, of like a Hampshire or some, you know, very domestic breed. So there's been a, a variety of ways. And then um, through a lot of the genetic work that's being done, um, it's apparent that, you know, they're, they're moved around quite a bit. Um, you know, the, the, there's, genetics from you know populations known populations let's say from florida that show up here in missouri and from texas that show up here and and that sort of thing so um you know we know that they're being moved around as well so um there's been i don't think you can really point to one thing but we do know that they have been around since the 1500s when the early european settlers came over here and um and then just kind of expanded from there like the ones here in missouri i i, I don't think it probably been around since the 1500s but um, in parts of the U S they have been. Yeah. And like when you say, you know, there's, there's these hogs with, um, you know, I guess, I guess that are originally from Florida or have DNA from these Florida, you know, hogs showing up in Missouri. Is that, is that just people transporting them there for hunting purposes or, or how they, how are they, or why are they being, I guess, transported to all these different parts of the country? Yes. And, and it's certainly not, you know, all the people that, that hunt hogs would do that, but there are some out there that, that do intentionally release them to create, you know, opportunities for themselves. I guess, um, why drive, you know, five hours or 10 hours or 15 hours to go somewhere to hunt if you can have that opportunity, you know, within a half hour or an hour of your house. Um, I think that's probably what the thinking is. And, um, you know, we've, we've seen them you can even see like if you look at the distribution and and it's the case in other states as well i've seen the distribution map uh you know from tennessee and a, a natural distribution of a species 
in my mind, you you would explain it like blowing up a balloon. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna start here, and as the population grows, it's gonna you know it's just gonna kind of expand like blowing up a balloon. I think that's what we'd see like if we looked at the armadillo population here in Missouri. We're watching them move further and further north all the time. The feral hogs it's not an it's not a natural expansion like that at all. It would it would look more like putting a, a piece of paper or a map on the wall and stepping back a ways and, and taking a shotgun with, you know, BB, BB size shot and, and blasting the piece of paper. And you've got populations scattered, you know, 150, 200 miles apart or something. And that's not natural. They're not, they're not walking across all this suitable habitat and none of them staying there to get to this other location. Um, they're clearly being, um, you know, transported there. Uh, by artificially yeah and i guess can you touch on you know why, why is that an issue you know why, why i guess uh, and obviously i know having living living where i'm at here and, and having to deal with them locally but for somebody that that may not you know why is it such an issue for feral hogs to show up in an area like that what what kind of problems are you seeing from that well, they're they're extremely destructive. Their their rooting and wallowing behavior is extremely destructive. If they get into agriculture, uh, they they're uh, hogs are social animals. They tend to travel in social groups called sounders, and a, a sounder of fifteen to twenty hogs can easily destroy, you know, a eight ten acre corn eight or ten acres of corn in one evening. Just wipe it out. Um, or if they get their young, I know uh, we've been called at least you know, a number of times to an area where the, the landowner had just planted corn within, you know, within a few days and the hogs just went right down the rows. It almost, it, you couldn't even tell really that a hog had done it. It almost looked like the planter. Um, they went so perfectly down the row and just removed every seed, but mm. they'll even get out into like pasture land and they, they root it up so bad that you can't, the, the landowner can't drive their equipment across it. It, it gets so rough. Um, and then they do a lot of damage to our natural resources as well. Their rooting behavior, you know, causes erosion, uh, which and set, you know sedimentation, and they'll get into areas like fens and they'll completely um, root up and destroy the fens. And they, of course, uh, you know, they it degrades the water quality when they're rooting and wallowing in the areas. And of course, um, I mean, obviously, all animals, uh, you know, have feces and stuff. But if they're concentrating their activities in an area um you know that's going to be concentrated as well so they they just do a, a tremendous amount of damage there's been there's been estimates before on on the cost you know the amount of damage that they do um in this country and a real old figure estimated at 1.5 billion dollars annually and that estimate is is well over 10 years old it's it's the the, the uh, number would be much higher now yeah and what about as far as like native wildlife? Do they, when, when hogs move in, do they displace, um, you know, native wildlife like deer and, and turkey as well? Is that an issue? Yeah, definitely. I mean, they, first of all, they, they compete for the food sources. They eat acorns. They, they eat, you know, a lot of the same foods that deer and turkey eat. They also directly um, can, uh, I guess you'd say, prey on other wildlife, amphibians and, and reptiles and, um, you know, small, uh, obviously ground nesting birds and, and other things, they'll prey directly on them, but then they also compete with them for food sources. And there have been, there've been studies done that showed, um, you know, they had like three 
three areas where they were removing hogs and then one area that was a control where they didn't remove any hogs. And in the areas where they were removing the hogs, the turkey population increased significantly as the hogs were removed. And, and it, that wasn't the case in the, in the one control area where they weren't removing any hogs. Yeah. Yeah. My, my boss, uh, Lindsay Thomas actually did an article on that, that study. Okay. Uh, that, yeah. That, yeah. It was very, very interesting. Yeah. Um, well, and I think, you know, a lot of people and, and, and I'm sure our trappers have some, you know, photos of, of hogs going, you know, near a, whatever somebody's feeder, their deer feeder or whatever, if they're, you know, baiting before the deer season or whatever. And the hogs are, hogs can be pretty aggressive, but you know, they can, they'll certainly run a, run a deer away from a food source if, if they want to get on that food source. And especially, like I said, they, they tend to be social animals, especially the females and the young, um, travel in fairly large groups. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, a, a white tailed deer or even a, a, a female and, and her fawns is not going to stand there and, and battle 20 or 30 feral hogs. They're just going to have to move on. Right. Are those, those sounders, are those just family groups or do, do multiple family groups kind of come together to, to form those or how, how's that composed, yeah. I guess? I think they, I think they will. Cause sometimes you'll definitely see like three, you know, three or more adult females and then, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of piglets with them. Um, but in some cases there'll be one adult female and there'll be, it's clear like three, three different sizes of piglets. And they're most likely all three, you know, her litters that she's had because they're, they're so, they have such a high reproductive rate. They can, they have an average of of two litters per year, the females will. And so, um, they, they have them rapidly and they have them often. They, they stay, um, pregnant, basically their, their adult life. They are, they are pregnant. They, they do uh, have a very, very high reproductive rate. And how many, you said they'll, they'll have, uh, two litters a year and what's kind of the average number of piglets that you'll, you'll see with hogs like that. I think the average is about six. Okay. They can have, you know, up to 10 or more, but I think the average is somewhere between four, six, usually maybe eight. And so, uh, yeah. And they, I think the literature says that they can reproduce, uh, a female can reproduce at six months of age, but I've talked to people who, who say they've, they've seen females reproducing even younger than that at four or five months of age, and then they can get pregnant again within, um, three weeks of having a litter and, and they, they often do. They, <laughs> they are, they are very prolific. That's for sure. We've, I've seen photos of, you know, females walking along, uh, feeding while the male is, is breeding her. And she, she, she doesn't, she doesn't even stop feeding. She just, <laughs> <laughs> business uh, as usual. <laughs> so yeah, they, uh, they definitely, and that's one of the big, big deals with the hogs and what makes it really difficult for, um, you know, to eliminate them because like hunting isn't, isn't a real effective tool when you want to eliminate because, um, as the population, you know, in an area declines and, and hunters aren't seeing very many animals anymore, they're going to move somewhere else. I mean, you know, as a deer hunter, you're not going to go to an area where you don't think there's very many deer. And so they're going to move. And with the reproductive rate of the hogs, if they even leave one female and one male in an area, it doesn't take, but you know, a year or two, and all of a sudden those two became 50 and you're right back where you started. And so the key is that you have to be persistent and stay after them 
until every single last one of them is gone. And, and that's just, that's not something, you know, that, that recreational hunters are, are generally going to do. They're not going to sit day after day after day when they're not seeing anything. Um, that's just going to get boring. I mean, I know as a deer hunter, well, I was just out deer hunting this past weekend and, and I hunted for three days and I only one, oh, I saw a deer one afternoon. I saw three deer and that was it all weekend. And I'll tell you, I was kind of getting bored. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's hard to stay motivated like that. <laughs> it is. Yes. And if that, if, if I knew that was going to be, you know, for, for months on end, I might sit there and not see anything. I'm, I'm just not going to do that. I'm going to find something else to do with my time. Right. Well, and aside from humans, do do hogs really have much um, in the way of, of predators to any extent? No, not at all. Especially once they become adults, there's really not not anything out there other than humans that's gonna um, that's gonna prey on them. And and another thing about them is they're so adaptable. They 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 can pretty much live in any climate. I mean, they you know they have them in Canada. They're in Hawaii. They're in California, they're in Georgia, Florida, Texas, Michigan, Missouri. I mean, they're out on the East Coast. So a warm climate, cold climate, arid climate. I mean, they, they seem to just be able to adapt to about anything. <laughs> like big cockroaches, basically. <laughs> yeah, um, you might yeah. say that. Yeah, and, and, they, and that's aided by the fact that they'll eat anything. I mean, when you, you know even people with domestic hogs talk about, you know, we'll go slop the hogs. I mean, cause whatever, whatever you have left, whatever garbage, trash, you know, rotten food, whatever, just throw it out there and the hogs are going to devour it. And the, and the wild or the feral ones are the same. They, they can pretty much, you know, get by on anything. They, you know, earthworms and, and worms and corn and, um, you know, plant matter and animal matter and just about anything they can get their snoot on. Yeah. Well, you, you talked about their destructive tendencies and, and displacing native wildlife. Um, what about disease issues? Do, do feral hogs pose disease issues for, for humans or livestock? Yeah, definitely for, uh, there, there are, uh, they, they've been found to carry over, um, what, about 35 or more different uh, types of diseases, including like swine brucellosis and pseudo rabies and, and, uh, and African swine fever, which is a really, really, really um, scary one to the domestic um, swine industry. Uh, we ha- it hasn't been found in in the U.S. yet, but over in Europe where they have it, it, it completely wipes out their their domestic pork um, industry. They have to mm. shut it down because it's so contagious. And I know um, in some areas in the U.S. they you know they have uh, what do you want to call it? like an action plan how they're gonna how they're going to respond, what they're going to do if, you know, it when and or if it, it does show up. So that's a really big one. But there are so many other ones that they carry that they can, you know, potentially transmit to uh, to domestic uh, livestock, uh, you know, primarily other other hogs or swine, but also to other types of livestock as well. And humans, there have been humans who have um, gotten swine brucellosis from eating undercooked um, feral hog meat. And so, yeah, that's definitely, definitely a concern. And there's another one, PERS, uh, P-R-R-S, uh, porcine respiratory and reproductive syndrome, which is another one that's um, cost the, the domestic uh, swine industry a, a lot of money um, because once it gets in, I think it spreads pretty rapidly. And I think that one primarily affects the, the young, young domestic hogs, but it, it, can, it can be pretty devastating to a, a, a producer. 
Yeah. Okay. So yeah, yeah. Carrying around a lot of, a lot of bad stuff. Then. Yeah. And I think, I think I read something recently that in some areas, as much as, you know, 30% of them are, are carrying like swine brucellosis, they're testing positive for that. So it's, it's not, uh, it's, it's not uncommon at all. It's not like it's a needle in a haystack kind of find. It's a, it's a pretty decent chance that, that they have it. Yeah. Now I'm curious, I, I guess from what you've seen in Missouri, how, how patchy are these, for lack of a better term, are these hog populations? Because I know that's something, well, I think it's often misunderstood maybe by people outside of areas where hogs are an issue. And I'm actually, I'm originally from Kentucky where kind of like you, um, where I grew up, there, there was no, no feral hogs where I was at there in Kentucky at the time. And I, I moved down here to Georgia to work for the DNR um, in the southern part of the state. And I guess I, I had this expectation of, of hogs just being everywhere. You know, I, I was uh, working on wildlife management areas and I was expecting them to, to, to be an issue. And that really wasn't the case. Um, most of the WMAs I worked on didn't, didn't have any hogs at all, or at least at the time. Now, so that's changed on some of these areas already. But I guess I, I was kind of surprised because I thought they were just going to be widespread everywhere. Um, but is that, is that the case? Even like where you're at there in Missouri, e- even though a region may be known for having lots of hogs, is it pretty spotty as far as across the landscape where, where they actually get seen? You know, one farm may have an issue and, and the next farm over might not see them at all. Yeah. And I think, I think that there's some influences that impact that. Obviously, um, any animal is going to, is going to, you know, they have their needs, food, water, and shelter. And so, um, and then depending how, how plentiful those resources are, they're probably going to have um, l- less movement if, if, they, if they can find everything they need and they're not disturbed readily or regularly, you know, they're going to have a smaller range. But then if, if the area where they're at, the, the resources are, are spottier and, and not as plentiful, then they're going to have larger ranges. And there have been studies in some states that have looked at, you know, home range size. And if that's, you know, if it's bigger in females, bigger in males, and then just bigger in this state compared to this state. And I think there's a lot of variables. And I also think, um, you know, if they're, if they're being hunted and they're being harassed a lot, they're going to, they're going to keep moving. And we saw that a lot here in Missouri. Um, we've, we've looked at like our success rate of trapping them um, on the Mark Twain National Forest here in Missouri prior to the to the ban on hunting and then after and the number that we catch each time you know we have a, a trapping effort or we, we have a trap drop has went up quite a bit um, because they're probably not moving as much and they're and they're you know probably getting into bigger groups because they're not being disturbed and they, they find the resources and they'll they'll stay around that area but if they're continually being you know chased by dogs or whatever they're going to have to have larger ranges that they cover. So I think there, there are definitely things that influence that and, and the habitat and, and the disturbance and stuff all plays into that. Um, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I, I know here they really, and, and again, I don't, I, I don't have broad knowledge on, on feral hogs, which is one of the reasons I, you know, I wanted to get you on here, but I, I know uh, around here, you know, the tendency is they, they follow these river drainages is, is where, you know, you really, they seem to concentrate and, uh, and, and like I said, even though when I worked on like the WMA closest here to my home, 
never saw a hog the the four four or five years that that I worked there, and then with just within a season, suddenly you know I was seeing them seem like just about every time I went out there to to deer hunt or scout or or whatever the case may be, um, they showed up quick and and abundantly and. The DNR has been quick about getting in there and, and doing a lot of trapping, and uh, they seem to kind of have them under control. But it, it was it was amazing how quickly they they seem to show up out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, and here you know our our larger populations or higher concentrations have been in the southern half, even southern third of the state, and it's down there where. Um, you know, where most of our national forest land is and, and, and the Department of Conservation has some good side. We have, we, the department has land all over the state, but we have some, you know, fairly large pieces that, that, you know, are adjacent to some national forest and, and whatnot down a lot of public, more public land in the Southern part of the state. And um, they probably, you know, are disturbed a little less. They, they, before the ban on hunting, they were hunted down there, but they didn't have, you know, they didn't have a landowner that was out, you know, killing up the ground and stuff all the time and, and, you know, chasing them and, and trying to get them out of there as much. They had bigger open areas to to be on down there in the Southern part of the state. And, and I think maybe with some of the, like I said, some of the, some of the populations started because of intentional releases. And, and those were, are probably, you know, generally focused on the public ground where it's big enough area that, you know, if you're going to run a dog, you've got some area to run it. And also, I don't think very many um, landowners are going to give anybody permission to release these destructive things on the yeah. property. <laughs> I wouldn't think so. Well, that, I guess that's a good segue. Let's let's talk about Missouri specifically and kind of the the how and and where um, they. I mean, when when did you guys start seeing feral hogs show up in the state and and where and and how quickly did that spread? Yeah, we I think we've probably first started uh, getting reports of them uh, around the mid nineteen nineties, and then um, it really it really started to grow. There were you know just just here and there at that point uh, starting to get I think some escapes from some of the hunting facilities and and whatever, and then uh, but by gosh by like twenty. 2016 anyway we probably had established populations in 38 counties so they they expanded pretty quickly once they once they did get here they um well you know naturally but then also i think as people as hunting you know as it started getting more popular to hunt them uh, i think more populations were introduced in other areas so um but mid 1990s is usually when when i say that uh you know that we started getting calls about problems with them, landowners noticing damage and people seeing them. Um, that's when our problems kind of started. And then by, by, you know, 20, 2010 or whatever, um, they were really starting to become an issue. Now, when you say they were escaping from, from these, I, I guess, hunting preserves or whatever the case may be, was, was these, was those people, did they have them legally? Was it legal for them to have them or was it like a high fence type situation or, or was it completely illegal from the, from the get go? Yeah, I think at that time uh, they were, they could get licenses to, to hunt them behind the, and in those, in the hunting preserves, just like, you know, you can, there's hunting preserves for, for deer and elk and, and a variety of other types of species. And, and they, um, they could get, 
I believe they could get licensed for them back then. Now we um, we don't issue any new any any new licenses for hunting preserves to have feral hogs in Missouri. Um, but back then, I believe we did, and so um, and then some of them there feral hogs are are very hard to uh, well hogs in general I think are very hard to uh, to keep fenced in. They they have a they have a knack for escaping. I think I think they're a hard animal to keep fenced in. So they um, you know some of them escaped uh, from those facilities and and maybe some were some people may have brought some over that didn't own you know brought some from somewhere that didn't necessarily own one of those facilities and and those and they just let them out out on the land. Yeah, and and Missouri has taken I guess a little different approach to handling the feral hog issue than than some of the other states uh, that that have had issues here in the past. Can you speak on that? Kind of what, what's been your all strategy uh, with dealing with these feral hogs? Yeah. Well, like you mentioned, you know, every, every state has a little different situation and, and I think it kind of starts with what, um, what they're, what they're labeled or what, what they're titled or what they're considered. Some states they are actually considered wildlife and therefore there's, you know, the state wildlife agency, regulates some some states i believe they're you know they have um they sell tags for them or you know to like just like a, a deer tag or whatever here they're not here they are a um they are an invasive uh exotic an invasive species and so they're not considered wildlife um so we we've never had a hunting season on them here um but we then you know realized through what we saw what we'd seen here in missouri but also what um, you know, we had learned from other states that hunting was not the tool that we needed to use if, if total elimination was the goal here. And that was uh, we had, well, all the way back in, in 2008, our governor uh, noticed how significant the problem was. And he created what was called the Governor's Feral Hog Task Force in 2008. And that was a group of, of agencies, um, not just our department, but the, the Missouri Department of Agriculture and and another, I think the group was about 10 uh, agencies and organizations at the time, and they were tasked with, you know, some specific goals to work on. And, um, but it it was realized fairly early, you know, that, that hunting was not the tool that was going to help us eliminate them. In fact, it might, it was, it was hindering our efforts just because it provided, it provided, um, an incentive to have hogs on the landscape because if people enjoyed hunting them, then they're going to want them, want them to be there, you know, so it provided an incentive, but then also, um, so there are that, that provides incentive for intentional releases. Um, but then hunters, as I mentioned, they're not likely going to stick with it until, you know, until every last hog is gone and a hunter is generally going to get, I mean, if, if they, if their dogs get chasing the sounder of 20 hogs, they're not going to end up, killing all 20 hogs, they're probably going to take one or two, three, maybe. And the rest of the sounder then scatters, uh, you know, moves somewhere else or scatters. And so, uh, we realized that. And, and so we decided that, you know, what we were going to do was try to ban hog hunting. Um, and our, and our group, it, it, it evolved from the governor's feral hog task force into the Missouri feral hog elimination partnership. And we have some additional partners, but all the partners were, our 100% dedicated to total elimination. And so um, the, the Department of Conservation kind of uh, went first back in 2016. We passed a, a ban on on the take of all um, 
feral livestock on any land owned, leased, or managed by our agency. And then some of the other um, agencies had similar, like the Missouri Department of Natural Resources um, just does manage deer hunts on their land, so they didn't allow hog hunting anyway. And and some of the other partners, um, like the, the the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, passed similar regulation when we did. And then in 2019, then the U.S. Forest Service passed a ban on on all hog hunting on their on all Forest Service land in the state. And then shortly after they passed that ban, then the National Park Service passed a ban on hog hunting on their land in Missouri. And so at that point, basically all public land in the state of Missouri, it was it was not permitted to hunt hogs any longer. And at that point, we started really, really seeing more success in our trapping efforts and and the agencies, we all, the partnership, all the members, um, you know, put forth additional effort, you know, to to move towards this goal of total elimination. And, and we're definitely seeing success. Um, our partnership is very strong and and all committed to that same goal and it's it's working we're seeing we're seeing good success we um we have decreased the number of watersheds occupied by feral hogs uh since 2016 until 2022 by about 60 percent we went from like something like 11 million acres of of those watersheds that were occupied down to about four and a half million acres good deal and what yeah. kind of what kind of numbers are you guys seeing as far or, or removing off the landscape like well, we on an had, annual basis? Yeah, we had been increasing every year um, since we started keeping track. Every year, the number that we were move, removing was increasing until 2020 uh, when we we reached our peak at um, 12,695, I believe, in 2020. And then in 2021, we were at. 9,500 something, I believe. And 2022, uh, we're the preliminary, we don't have exact final numbers, but somewhere around 6,200. And our effort has increased like since from 2020 to 2021, we actually had an increase in effort. So it wasn't that we had just kind of got tired of it and we weren't working as hard. We actually had increased effort uh, covered more. We worked with more landowners, and we we scouted more area and put forward for put forth more effort at elimination. And still, the the numbers went down. And we see a lot of um, anecdotal information. You know, uh, landowners telling us that you know they they've not seen a hog in a, in you know a year or two years when it had, and that's the first time since you know 2010 or something that they've been able to plant their crops and not have to worry about the hogs tearing them up. And even when we get the helicopter here to do, uh, do some aerial gunning for hogs, they're not finding them. Um, a lot of areas where they used to have find a lot of hogs, they're, they're just not finding them. They're having a lot more difficulty uh, finding them, which is a good sign. Yeah. I, I'm curious, how was the, I guess, the public reaction to um, the, the way you guys have, have kind of taken on the feral hog issue, the, you know, the, I, I'm sure there were some, some public land hunters that, that weren't happy about not being able to hunt them. Uh, I, we hear some of that same stuff down here where I'm at, but, uh, I, I'm curious just to kind of how the, how public, um, support has been for the program and both not, not only hunters, but, but landowners and, and, uh, you know, farmers, that kind of thing, how they've, 
how they felt about the program and and is that changing as you know you guys are obviously seeing seeing some success there yeah definitely uh when we first were proposing this back in 2016 there was definitely some opposition you know we we held some meetings and and had a public comment period on the proposal and certainly the by far the majority of people were in support um but there were definitely like you said the the uh, some individuals that enjoy hunting them uh, and hunting them on public land that were were strongly opposed and there were some you know even some of the um landowners and some of the you know organizations of landowners um were very skeptical and thought that that we needed to um we needed to uh, i can't remember how how they would say it but use all the tools and, and and so basically not not ban hunting but we needed that we needed the assistance of hunters but we just had just kept emphasizing the fact that we had been using hunting as well as trapping for 20 plus years and the population just continued to grow so it was that wasn't working and we needed to try something different and yeah we're definitely definitely seeing um seeing that a lot more support i mean it, like i said the majority of people supported it all along but now you know even some of the ones that that were not in support or, or maybe even strongly opposed um are now are now very supportive i know of a one large landowner in the state who was was strongly opposed to what we were doing you know a number of a few years ago and now is a very strong supporter of ours and and uh um very much on board with what we're doing and has seen it work and, and uh, very much uh, supports what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you look at states like where I'm at here in Georgia and in the, in the South, you know, we've had hogs for, for years and years. They, they've hunted them, you know, on private land, pretty much it's, it's a free for all. You can hunt them day, night, any kind of weapon you want, you know, it's just wide open and, you know, they're not making a dent in them that way. It's, it's obvious that, that you just can't out hunt them. <laughs> yeah. There has to be other means. And I know at least on, on public lands here uh, around where I'm at, the DNR has gotten uh, really active in, in doing these, these um, remote activated, you know, whole sounder traps and, and are, you know, seem to be keeping the, the numbers under control on some of the public lands around here. So it's, it's good to hear that there's at least some some small victories happening out there on on what you know for years and years has kind of seemed to be a a lost cause but but maybe not yeah well and it's it's interesting you mentioned the the remote activated traps and it's definitely um a we have to continue to evolve in the methods that we're using and and use um you know the, the continue to get better with our traps and modify our traps just because the hogs are so smart. Uh, I read a study at one point that they're the third smartest animal on the planet behind uh, dolphins and, and monkeys. And I didn't continue to read. I don't know if humans were included in that study or not, but <laughs> if, if so, I think we ranked below the hogs. <laughs> but even just in the, you know, the eight or nine years or whatever that I've been, you know, involved with this effort here in Missouri, we I've seen the, the type of the style of traps that we're using um, uh, evolve quite a bit. We, you know, they, we used to use rooter gates and then we went to guillotine gates and, and then we had the, you know, the, the cameras with the, with the, the traps with the cellular cameras that they could activate remotely. And now um, we've developed similar traps that are, you know, the trap, the entire trap is elevated off the ground. Um, but 
but we've got we're making them now that the the hogs activated so they don't the 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 remote activated ones obviously you have to have cell phone reception and and the cameras are the cameras are costly and stuff but these ones that the hogs activate um can be are very successful as well and you don't need the cell phone reception and then the trappers that are out there we've got quite a few uh, uh with us with with our agency and and the u.s department of agriculture here in missouri we have uh 40 plus full-time trappers and so they're out there trapping hogs full-time and so so they get pretty clever and they they they've adapted with how they spread the bait in the trap and and they you know do different things with the trigger mechanism so that they can get it so um most times the entire sounder gets under the trap before it's activated because otherwise if if only a portion of the sounder gets under there before it's activated uh then the others can get kind of trap shy uh they've they've seen that work before and they they'll be a little bit of trap shy plus they're probably going to scatter from that area we have to start over to try and find them right now how, how does that work i guess specifically there in missouri if if a landowner contacts you and says hey i've i've got a, a hog problem um how does that work? Do you do you send a trapper out there? Do they have to pay for that service, or what? What's that? What's that like? No, they do not. We we will assist anybody who asks for assistance. The only thing is, we will we won't we we don't go trap on a landowner who's also themselves or allowing somebody else to hunt at the same time. Now, if they wanna if they wanna hunt the hogs, you know, in the fall, and then ask us to trap them in the spring or something, that we'll work with them that way. But um, it's it's just not productive for us to try and trap them while somebody's running them, you know, running them with dogs or whatever. But yeah, we'll help any landowner that asks for help. And we, we go out and, and, you know, and make that apparent. We have, you know, meetings with, with different organizations, agricultural organizations and stuff, and, and let them know that please contact us. We'll come and we'll come and assist you. And, and that's helpful, you know, obviously helpful for them that they don't have to do it. And, and we bring the trap and the supplies and everything. But then it also um, provides, uh, I guess you'd say, coordination because we don't want to we don't want to have a trap on every landowner because otherwise we're it, it gets to be where we're just kind of feeding the hogs that the hogs just go from one one trap to the next and you're not catching them so much. So we don't want to have too many traps in an area. So if we're helping the landowners, then we can we know, OK, we've got a trap on your neighbor just on, you know, just across the fence from you. So we're not going to put one on your property as well, but it's, it's the same sounder that's you use in both of your properties. So we're, we're helping you. We, we just may not physically have a trap on you at this point in time, but um, that works well. And we also found that, um, you know, like I said, we have full-time trappers here. And so anything you do that you're doing that all the time, that that's what you're doing for your job, you're going to get pretty good at it. And so, um, you know, sometimes the landowners don't have the time to commit to it, to, you know, to be going out and checking a trap every day. And it's not something that they're doing. They, some of them, you know, have jobs in town or they're, or they're farming full time or whatever. And so they don't have necessarily the time to, you know, commit to, to checking the trap all the time, making sure there's food in there and stuff. So, and sometimes they may get, you know, they're anxious to catch them and we, we don't want to actually even build the trap until we got them consistently coming to the bait. And then even after we build it, we may not set it, you know, for a few more days to make sure they get used to it. So again, we get the entire sounder. And so um, I think it's, we found that it's, it's, it's more effective that way if we're doing it rather than having folks that, 
you know, this isn't what they do for a living. This is just a, a kind of a, a nuisance form, really. I mean, they want to be they want to be using their land for whatever they purchase their land for and spending their time doing that, not trying to catch feral hogs that are destroying the land. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Man, I, I got to imagine was were, were you guys able to to keep up with demand for that? Or I mean, it seemed like that would be a really popular service or at least down here where I'm at, boy, if, you know, if these landowners could get somebody to come out and trap, trap for them at, at no charge, um, man, I, I would think they would just be overrun with requests, but have, have y'all been able to keep up with demand? Yes, we, we absolutely have. And we made that a priority when, um, you know, as we were, you asked earlier if we had support for this and stuff. And that was one of the questions that a lot of people had. They, they did not think we would be able to. And, and the members of our partnership you know, made a pretty strong commitment that if we pass these regulations that that we will make this happen, we will help every landowner that asks for help. And and we have been able to do that, uh, fortunately. And and then we're still, um, you know, putting a lot of resources on the on the public land, on the Mark Twain National Forest and on our lands and, and you know, on DNR and the other public land where the hogs are. But um, definitely uh, priority, you know, help any landowner that needs assistance. And it's and that's again, that's that's contributed to to the um, you know the the more and more support all the time as we go on and we're showing success and we're and people are realizing that yeah we we are able to help anybody that asks we haven't turned anybody down or had anybody have to wait a long time for us to get there to help them we we're there promptly and and we give them assistance immediately. Yeah, well, man. Yeah, that's that's a great that's a great thing. That's a great service. Uh, I guess. For those who uh, who aren't as fortunate, who may be living with with hogs and, and don't have that uh, um, that ability to have the have the DNR or, or their wildlife agency come out and, and trap them for them, any uh, any tips when it comes to you know a landowner dealing with with feral hogs on their own? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think one key thing would be uh, to to do you know do their research and, and find the the best. Uh, designed for a trap that they're able to, you know, that they're able to afford and that they can get the, get the components for to construct and then, and then do, do some research on, on methods, I guess. Like I said, we'll, we'll tend to, we find an area where the hogs are using and then the guys, first of all, they're, they're going to look around and find the appropriate place to set the trap. It, it can't be, you know, like an area where the ground is real uneven because when the trap goes down, if <laughs> If it's not flat to the ground all over, the hogs are going to crawl under and and then they're going to be trap shy because they're going to have been in that trap before. So they want to find the appropriate place, but then they want to they want to then start baiting there at that location without the trap being there and, and start putting bait out and and get the trap, uh, get the hogs, you know, coming consistently to that bait. And obviously they want to have a camera there so they can get an idea of how many how many hogs are in this group, how many hogs are coming there. So um, so they know that they're they're getting them all all of them consistently coming and then you know once they actually trap them they have an idea you know if there were 15 coming and they only got five in the trap they know they didn't they know they didn't get them all so they want to do that and and then um and then be patient you know take the appropriate amount of time to to get them coming consistently and then once they construct the trap they got to be patient again and and wait you know a few days or whatever until the hogs get used to to see in the trap there and still come into the bait and making sure they're all, they're all still coming to the bait that they don't have, you know, the sows, the adults hanging back, um, just, you know, not wanting to come in. 
and then you know then set the trap at the appropriate time to be to have the ultimate success i know you know a lot of times that the trappers tell me that they'll be working with a landowner and the, the landowner you know is excited and, and they want these hogs gone and they want to they want to throw that trap up on day one and get yeah. <laughs> and, and and then you know then you catch one hog and you got you know 19 others running around that are now not wanting to come to your bait so it, it's definitely a game of uh, you got to be a little bit patient to uh, make sure everything's right so you get the entire group yeah yeah it sounds like like patience is key and uh you you want to you want to have your uh, best effort on the first try there and get get as many as you can on your first opportunity yeah definitely uh, as far as bait is is what have you found works best to to bring these hogs in for trapping we use corn just corn we do a lot of corn <laughs> but it, it's pretty effective it's you know it, it can be challenging like this year we had a, a a very very good acorn crop this fall and so um it was very very difficult to get we you know I, the guys were saying that hogs were walking right past their corn to go to acorns and so you know there's there's times where probably not much is going to work if there's there's a lot of acorns but then you know if it get a heavy snow or something in the winter and and uh, all that is covered up then then it's going to work or come you know come spring or whatever so it it comes around and every year is not going to be a bumper crop of acorns so um there's going to be slow times and and times where it's more more effective that we find that that the corn is the best is the best uh that we found here in missouri and i think that's what I've seen, you know, from other areas as well. Uh, like there are other things that I, I read a study recently and it said, you know, earthworms work pretty well and something else works pretty well, almost as good as corn, but it's going to be pretty hard to find the quantity of earthworms that yeah. we're going through in corn. <laughs> we're going through many, many tons of corn. And I don't know if we want to be trying to purchase and handle that, that kind of quantity of earthworms. So <laughs> probably going to be our best our best bet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I would stick with corn if I had to, I had to choose between the two. Yeah. As we, I guess as we kind of wrap things up here, are there any other, I guess, control methods or any techniques on the horizon that, that may, that look promising, I guess, for maybe um, turning the tide on, on the spread of feral hogs? Well, um, there, there's a couple different groups working on um, a tox, toxicants and, um, there, there was one that was actually approved, had gen, got general use approval back in 2017, but then there was a lot of concern with, with um, impacts to non-target species and stuff. So it was, it was pulled back and they, they're doing some additional research on it. Um, and that one was a warfarin-based product. Um, and then there's another one that's being worked on by the U.S. Department of Agriculture and, uh, and Texas Parks and Wildlife. And that one's a sodium nitrite-based product. Um, but it's, it, it, it's, it takes a while. They're trying to make sure that, um, they find a delivery system, you know, some side of sort of a container or feeder to use that will prevent non-targets like bears and raccoons and stuff from getting in it. And then also some type of formulation that maybe, you know, pigs are not neat eaters. And so they're going to get their head in the, into the feeder and, and they're going to scatter, you know, if it's like corn it's going to be scattered all over and then whatever birds and stuff could come and and get get what they've spilled out of the um out of the feeder so they're they're doing testing and and trying to you know solve all these all these issues but i always tell people that there is no silver silver bullet in this battle we have been 
poisoning rats in this country for what, a hundred years and we still have rats. So yeah, absolutely. It, it would be another tool for us to use and it may be very effective in some areas. And then in other areas, like, uh, you know, they're, they're having a real hard time finding a delivery system that is foolproof for black bears or, or for bears. And so in areas where there, ba- where there are bears, it, it may be a challenge. It may not be usable or it may only be usable when the bears are hibernating or, you know, whatever. So they've tried different things like magnets on the feeder, but then, uh, a bear can can lift a pretty pretty good say you have to have a pretty strong magnet and it might be might be too strong for the hogs to open it and and at one point i think they even tried a a voice activated one where where you had to an animal had to snort like a hog to uh, to make the door open but mockingbirds figured out how to mimic that oh noise. my gosh so, so there's there's a lot of uh, obstacles and i think it'll be you know another tool in the toolbox in some areas and it'll be it would probably be very effective in some areas. But again, I, I don't think at this point there, there's nothing out there that's just going to be, you know, this magical wand that we're going to wave and hogs will be gone when it's just going to, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a war. It's not a battle. It's, it's a long-term thing that we're going to have to be persistent on. And, and I think, um, you know, staying, uh, what's the word, like resilient, even once, you know, once they, once we think we've got them eliminated, we're still going to have to be vigilant and, and keep our eyes out and keep monitoring because you know if a little pocket of them shows up somehow from a neighboring state or because somebody brought them in or because some domestics escaped or for whatever reason and if they uh, find an area to to you know live for a couple years and, and reproduce next thing you know you, you know we've got a problem again so we're always going to have to be um, vigilant and keeping our eyes out for them that's for sure um, and keeping you know, uh, continuing to look for, for new tools and new different styles of traps and, and toxicants or whatever, whatever the next thing might be. We're, we're starting to use drones quite a bit here in Missouri to assist with the effort. And we're finding that to be very, very useful in a lot of situations. Um, so, uh, it's an ever evolving thing, I think. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like you said earlier, it only, it it only takes two to 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 create a lot of hogs in a short amount of time. So yeah, that's for sure. And I think, you know, definitely different different areas of the country, you know, have have different obstacles to to get over to, you know, to to win this battle. Different habitat, different terrain, you know, different I saw a presentation at one of the conferences a few years ago, some folks from Hawaii, and they actually like had to fly, you know, fly with a helicopter just to check some of their traps because they're in such remote um hilly terrain that they um you know they had to do that so that's certainly a challenge and then oh, yeah. you know with with aerial gunning it's going to be uh, you know obviously more effective in, a, in an open area here in missouri we do some um but you know we're limited what to when the leaves are off the trees because when the leaves are on the trees <laughs> you don't see much right as far as though you mentioned the, the drones, is that just to locate the hogs or what do you, what are you using the drones for specifically? Yeah, they're, they're very effective, you know, at night with thermal imagery on them, but even during the, you know, in the, during the day, it works well also with the thermal or without, but if we're going to have the helicopter here to, to assist with elimination, um, it's effective to go out ahead of the helicopter with the drones and try and find the hogs so that they spend less time looking with, for hogs with the helicopter and more time, you know, removing hogs. And then um, we're also using it uh, well and to, to locate them in areas as well. If we have an area where the trappers are 
think maybe that they they have some or they've seen some sign, but they can't find them, can't get them on bay. We can look there. But then also, if we have areas where we might have a, a lone boar um, and that he, and he doesn't want to come to a trap or something, uh, the drone can go out and, and find him and then maybe walk a, walk a shooter in and uh, eliminate him that way. And that's fairly effective. They, that thermal imagery works really well. They, they light up pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's they, really know, cool. At night, they show up as this white spot and it, it's, they're pretty, pretty obvious. And the drone is, is pretty quiet. It, it doesn't seem to spook them too much. They, they can, he can get fairly, fairly close with the drones and, and not spook them. Okay. Yeah, that, that's, that's very cool. Well, Alan, I appreciate your time. Uh, we've been on here for, for about an hour now and, uh, and enjoyed the discussion. I know we, we have a, a long way to go in, in getting uh, the feral hog issue un, under control here, but uh, it seems like you guys are, are having some success and hopefully we'll just continue to, to learn new ways to uh, address the issue. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's, it's good. We have some, you know, some groups, the National Wild Pig Task Force, um, you know, is a group that, that gets folks together from around this country, all over this country. And we share, you know, share information amongst states, what's working here and what are you doing there? And, and then the, you know, uh, every other year we have the International Wild Pig Conference and that actually brings folks in from Australia and other countries, as well as people from all over the U S and again, you know, exchanging information and, and ideas and, and new technology and stuff. And I think that's very beneficial to the overall effort because, you know, we're, we're, we're able or we've seen and tried things here in Missouri that maybe other states haven't. And there's things that are going on in other states that, that we haven't tried yet or haven't seen yet. And so we can, and we can, we can save each other. Uh, you know, uh, we don't, we don't all need to, to uh, find the same failures. If something isn't right. working, we might as well share with each other and not have everybody go through the same thing. Absolutely. Yep. Share that information. Well, good deal, man. I, again, I appreciate your time. Enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah, kind of look forward to uh, just kind of keeping track with, with you guys and, and how your continued efforts go. That sounds good. Well, thank you. I enjoyed visiting with you as well. All right, guys, that wraps up our interview with Alan Leary. Uh, thanks so much for checking out this episode of the Deer Season 365 podcast. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the show. You know, you can find us on all the popular podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Uh, and and several more. So about anywhere you could listen to uh, listen to podcasts, you should be able to find us there. Uh, or you can just go to deerassociation.com slash podcast and subscribe directly from our website. Uh, hey, we'd also love it if you take just a second to leave us a five-star rating or a written review. You know, those both help us uh, climb the, the podcasting charts and be more visible to uh, to future listeners. So we would appreciate any support you could give us there. For more information about the National Deer Association, you can visit our website, again, at deerassociation.com. From there, you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter. And you can become a member. And don't forget about that podcast promo code that we talked about at the beginning of the show to get you a little bit of a discount on an annual membership and that free NDA hat. So be sure to take advantage of that. And uh, hey, just enjoy some of our several hundred articles of, of free content right there on our website covering everything from hunting strategy to food plots, habitat improvement, um, deer management, you name it. 
if it's deer hunting or deer management related, we got some good content right there on our website available to you. So check that out. And of course, you can always find us on all the popular social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Deer Association. So again, thanks for listening to the Deer Season 365 podcast, the podcast where deer season never ends.